Once we, we become Christians, we already start trending in a direction far away from what we ever intended. We often get sidetracked. It's easy to think that as we start to follow Jesus, the world around us also needs to start acting like we act. Christians act surprised when lost people act like lost people. I don't know if you all saw or heard about the performance that Sam Smith did a year or two ago, whenever it was, at some awards ceremony where he like, played his song as Satan. Christians were blown away that somebody would ever do that, but it was a lost person acting like a lost person. For some reason, it's natural for us as Christians to create this frame of mind where we classify and we, we kind of judge people and think that if they're going to be a Christian, first they need to start acting like us, and then finally they can follow Jesus. If you're here this morning, I'm willing to bet that you've at least heard this verse, if you've not at least heard me say it, from John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. You've probably heard that, you've probably heard something like that, and you probably agree with it. But the problem is, we don't often live like the verse asks us to live. What happens when the person that you work with, the person in your office, your neighbor, whoever it might be, that annoys the ever-loving snot out of you, wants to just have a difficult conversation about something going on in their lives? What happens when the person you work with who's a part of the LGBTQ plus community just needs a hug one day? What happens if that person that you know on Facebook that disagrees with everything you stand for needs prayer? It's easy to think that we don't struggle with self-righteousness until we start looking like the people who oppose Jesus. But this is nothing new. The church was always going to trend towards self-righteousness. It was just something that is within our nature. It was always going to happen. Honestly, it's like becoming your parents one day. I know we've got some teenagers, some young adults who have this overwhelming desire to never be like their parents. Some of you are sitting next to your parents, and you don't want to be like them at any point in your life when you grow up. However, I want to tell you all something. If one day you are blessed with becoming a parent, it will happen. Regardless of how much you try, it will eventually happen to you as well. You will become your, like your parents. It is inevitable. Because I thought the same thing. My dad's sitting in a room playing with some kids right now, and I have been lucky at a pretty young age to have a teenager who was a lot like me. In fact, there's multiple times a day where I go out and I see his car, and it doesn't look like I would want my car to look. Yet, I also remember when I was a teenager, my dad looked at my car full of trash and nasty, always telling me that I needed to go clean my car. I do that to my teenage son all the time now, and multiple times I realize the inevitable has happened. I am becoming my father. It's, the church is, it works like this in the exact same way, because as you come to know Jesus, as you start to understand the things you are supposed to do, we trend in the wrong direction, because we trend towards a lot of what Rob talked about last week, which was legalism. We want to be holy. We want to be like Jesus. And so a lot of times we set this system of rules in place, but honestly, it just creates more problems within the church because we start to see people outside of the church differently. 
It, it all changed for me when someone put it like this. If you were to open your New Testament, I know we don't have paper New Testament Bibles in front of you, but if you were to open a Bible, you turn to the New Testament, if you flip through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the first few books for those of you who, who didn't recognize that, and you hold open the rest of your Bible, the whole rest of the New Testament, that was all written to churches that had problems. And so as I was growing up, as I hoped to one day work in the church, I started to learn that working in the church was not as glamorous as I thought it was. I thought it was going to be the best job, the easiest job. I thought that Satan was going to attack me outside and it was going to be fine. I was going to face trials and persecutions like we are promised to all throughout Scripture. No, I wasn't looking for an easy life, but I was looking for an easy career, basically. But what I've learned and what I should have known upon reading the New Testament is when you're dealing with the church, you will often find messy situations. You'll find imperfect people. Shocker. There's tons of imperfect people filled within the church. In fact, there's imperfect people sitting in every single seat here in our church right now. And there's even one standing on stage. I'm going to be honest. I told Rob when we first planned out this series, I wanted to teach every single sermon. Because if we're talking about church hurt, I've been through plenty of it. What's crazy is, like I said, I, I was hoping to work for the church one day, and I thought it was going to be glamorous. But if I'm being honest, probably 90% of the trials and the persecution that I have faced has been from within the church. And so I jokingly told Rob, I, I'm not going to preach one sermon. I'm just going to go back your three previous ones and pick up where you left off and fill in all the different blanks that you missed. Because I know there's people here who are like me, where the majority of the stress came from situations within the church. There's likely people here who have felt overwhelming anxiety to the point that you didn't want to go to church. I know there are people here who struggle with the church because of not only the church members, but the church leaders being central oppressors in their life. Like I said, I can honestly say that that's been the case for me. I've attended church for as long as I can remember. And my parents attended church far longer than I remember. From the time I was born until now, I have been a part of the church. Even once my parents got divorced, I would go to church with my dad whenever I was with him, whenever the doors were open. And when I was with my mom, I'd go to church with her whenever the doors were open at her church. Two separate churches I attended faithfully for most of my life. And both churches were imperfect. I've now worked for four different churches, all of which are imperfect because the church is imperfect. I've even heard it said over and over and over, we will face trials and tribulations of many kinds. It's in the Bible. We will be persecuted for our faith. But what I never heard or understood was that it could come from the church. So what happens the majority of Satan's haymakers come from the church and its leaders. I know some of you can relate. I know some of you maybe even spent a stint away from the church because you didn't feel like being a part of it because of what the church did to you. I have family members that are afraid to darken the doors of the church because they feel judgment and glances of ridicule when they walk in. The world around us has already painted Christians in a poor light. We don't have to make it any easier for them. 
There's already this stigma that people walk into new churches with where they're expecting things to just be a little awkward and a little bit weird. It's who the church has become to the mainstream media. So I've got a few questions for you this morning. How can we correct that image? How can we make sure that Elevate Christian Church is a welcoming place for each and every person that comes to visit? But maybe the best question that I want to ask this morning is how can we best, rep- be, how can we best represent Jesus for every single person that we come in contact with? I'm not talking about just here. I'm talking about when you go home in your neighborhoods. I'm talking about when you go to your work, to your office buildings, or in your your online communities. Wherever you're a part of, how can you best represent Jesus everywhere we go? Well, I think we'll find all of these answers today in Mark chapter 2. It's very, very early on in Mark, but this is a fantastic story where we get to see and examine kind of the pitfalls of our own self-righteousness. The self-righteousness that we just slip into without ever even noticing. So if you want to, turn to your Bibles in Mark chapter 2. If you want to scan the QR codes, it'll take you right there in the sermon notes. If you click on those this morning, you'll be able to read right along with us. And you'll be able to see all of our main points for today. Great place to go. But as we're getting there, I just want to catch you up on what's going on in Mark. Jesus is in the middle of calling all of his disciples. And when I'm talking about disciples, I'm talking about the main 12 guys that are going to spend all of their time following Jesus around, listening to his teachings, doing their best to put every single thing that he says into practice. And Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee. He's trying to find all of these different groups of people, trying to find the best 12 men basically for this job that are willing to follow him above all else. So you'll notice that in this story, Mark is going to talk to a guy, and Mark's going to call him Levi. If you look in other Gospels, you'll find that his name is Matthew. Very common People have different names in the Bible. Once you had like a big life-changing moment, you might have your name changed. So Levi and Matthew, for those of you who know both of those people within the Bible, we're talking about the exact same person. And here's what happens. Jesus happens onto this guy in verse 13. He says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. It didn't take much. Instantly, Levi hears the words of Jesus, follow me. And without any thought, he rises and follows him. But I want you to notice something immediately of what Jesus is doing. Where does Jesus find this person that is so willing to follow him? You would have thought that the best place for Jesus to find any follower, any dedicated person that would religiously follow him, would have been one of the main religious centers of the time, right? If Jesus was going to find people who were searching for the Messiah, the best place would have been the synagogues. That was the Jewish equivalent of the church back then. Everyone probably had a synagogue that they could easily travel to. That was the religious center of the town in a lot of places, or the region. You would think that if Jesus was going to find followers, that would be the place to go. Yet for some reason in this story, and in all of the other stories of him finding his disciples, we don't have any record of Jesus finding one of his 12 disciples within the synagogues. He does preach there. We can find within Mark and within the other Gospels that he goes there and he teaches. In fact, one of the first teachings that he does is in the synagogue. 
where he declares that I am the fulfillment of this scripture that he reads. And yet, every single account where someone chooses to follow Jesus doesn't happen in a synagogue. He finds Peter, Andrew, James, and John by the sea fishing. He finds Philip and Nathaniel throughout the city. He finds Levi throughout the city. Every single record we have of Jesus finding his disciples happens outside of the religious institutions of the time. I don't find that ironic. I find that purposeful. Because the second Jesus leaves the synagogues, we find him out and about in the community. He either recruits disciples or he heals, prays, and teaches to people within the city, people within the countryside, people outside the religious institutions. So we need to recognize immediately the first thing that Jesus does in setting off any form of self-righteous. He leaves the synagogue where the religious people are and he finds everyone else where they are in their current life situation. Immediately, immediately in those first two verses we find this main point that Jesus sought followers outside the religious institutions. But what kind of followers did he find? What kind of followers did he seek? Verse 15 answers that question immediately. Here's what he says. As you reclined at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So think about this for a second. Jesus is just chilling at somebody's house having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Now, these aren't just any regular sinners. These are tax collectors. Tax collectors are like the worst of the worst. These are the armpit of society type of people. They are the modern-day equivalent of the people who call you and ask about your car's extended warranty. These people are absolutely the worst. And yet Jesus volunteers to have dinner with this person. These are the type of people... Rome obviously needed to collect taxes, and they saw that as an opportunity for themselves to get rich. So they would lie, cheat, steal, whatever it is they had to do, they would just collect extra money from all the people around them. And as you can imagine, they probably didn't like that too much. These people were often mentioned, these tax collectors, with robbers, thieves, adulterers, and murderers. Literally the worst. Let me tell you why they were viewed as the worst. First off, If you were to touch a tax collector or be in contact with a tax collector or the tax collector came into your house or you went into the tax collector's house, you were considered unclean, which I get it. You could just go wash your hands. Very different. In Jewish culture, you did not want to be unclean. To be unclean was to be unholy. To be unholy means you were set apart like you could not be close to God. They wanted to be holy so that they could be set apart to be with God, But they became unholy when they were unclean, therefore they were removed from God. And so anytime you came in contact with a tax collector, you had this whole system of being unclean. But what's weird is if you go back to your Old Testament, if you were to go and read through all the laws in Leviticus, there's a bunch of them, you'll never find one moment that says being around a tax collector makes you unclean. That's because this was some rule that was made up by the religious leaders because they wanted to add in their own different segment of rules that aren't actually even a part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament calls it the Torah, the law. They made up their own little concept of rules to go on top of the law that Rob talked about a couple weeks ago. And this system of rules created a whole new way for people to become unclean, like being in contact 
with a tax collector. There was nothing necessarily sinful about being a tax collector. It was only about the way that they acted. And yet, the religious people saw them as unclean. Second thing, the reason why Jewish people did not like tax collectors is because they were considered even lower socially than lepers. Lepers are these people who had a sickness that was all over their skin, and if you touched it, you could become sick as well. And so lepers often were sent off in their own little colonies to, to live on their own so the disease wouldn't spread. The problem with being a leper, though, is you did not choose that. That life chose you. Being a tax collector was different. If you were a tax collector, that means you chose to be a tax collector. You willingly volunteered. Rome didn't go around telling people they were going to be tax collectors. They chose to be tax collectors, which means you, knowing full and well the Jewish laws that have been put into place by the religious leaders, you are choosing a life where you are forever unclean, and there is nothing you can do to be made clean. And so you are viewed even lower socially than a leper because of your decisions to be completely unclean. My third one is, the favorite, is my absolute favorite thing. The Jews actually believed that it was not sinful for you to lie to a tax collector. Because the tax collector was so mean and crazy and took up all these different taxes of stuff that you never even signed up for, that it was going to be okay for you to lie about the amount of money that you had to give to this tax collector. Think about that for a second. They made a law, a rule on top of the Torah, on top of the Old Testament law, that actually made it okay for you to sin to somebody who was a sinner, who was completely unclean. We'll get to how backwards that is in a moment, but think about how low of a person they had to be to be a tax collector. Everyone viewed them as such. Now, this should tell you lots of things, but I want to point out a couple things before we get into the next main point. Notice it says that Jesus and his disciples were all eating there. His disciples were Jews as well. So what this tells me is that the people that followed Jesus either, one, trusted him and had faith in him above all things, which is probably true, but second, this probably wasn't the first time they hung out with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, I'm willing to bet that the people that chose to follow Jesus were mostly outcasts in society. In fact, the first followers of Jesus were outcasts in all ways, shapes, and forms. Like I said, the four of them were just out fishing all day, every day. And I know some of you guys have been around people who are fishermen. Maybe you've been around fishing boats. There's a different kind of smell that comes off of somebody who fishes for a living. Probably not the people that everybody wanted to hang out with. You have Levi, who's a tax collector, which I've already told you somebody everybody didn't want to hang out with. And yet Jesus and all the people who've already started to follow him didn't question, but they went in and sat down and had dinner with these tax collectors and sinners. And something tells me that it was a crowd that they were all too familiar with. This was something that was probably normal for them. But let's get into how the Pharisees respond. Let's get into the religious leaders. Look at Mark chapter 2, 16 and 17. Here's what it says. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, 
he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is where the self-righteousness kicks in. The Pharisees, which are some of the primary religious leaders of the day, were angry that Jesus would eat with people like this. Jesus, according to their standards, would have honestly been just as bad as the tax collectors because he was voluntarily walking into a tax collector's house. He was willing to become unholy. He was willing to become unclean. He chose to do so willingly. If you take into account of everything the Torah teaches, like I told you about a moment ago, what's funny is Jesus isn't doing anything wrong. This whole self-righteous kick that the Pharisees go on is completely off base because there's nothing that makes a tax collector a sinner except for their actions. Being a tax collector, according to the Old Testament law, does not make them so. So Jesus is doing nothing wrong, and yet the Pharisees are acting out of self-righteousness, believing that Jesus is acting completely incorrectly if it comes to, when it comes to being a Jewish leader. So while tension probably existed between Jesus and the religious leaders already up to this point, it only amplifies from this point on. And this is when Jesus starts to press extra hard, when he pushes a little more into these religious leaders who are acting self-righteously. Because throughout this entire story, up until this point, Jesus does absolutely nothing wrong. He does nothing sinful, and never is he unclean. I think this entire story is just littered with irony. Jesus is the Messiah, the one the Jews are all looking for. They're waiting for this guy to come at exactly the perfect time in order for them to be saved from everyone who's around them. And yet the people who were looking for him the most missed it. The righteousness of God escapes those who seek to establish their own righteousness, whereas those who are too far off for the the righteousness of God are graciously granted it. So upon reading the story, I instantly start to feel convicted because I know at one point when I heard this first preached to me, I identified with the tax collector. And there's probably some of you today that identify with the tax collector as well. You recognize that you lived a life that's far from what God has wanted for you. You willingly chose to do things that were against the the correct way to live that you could feel in your heart. And so knowing what Jesus teaches and understanding the love that he has for you, you seek to follow him. I'm right there with you. But the problem is for those of us who go to church for any period of time, a shift starts to take place. And instead of feeling, filling in the role of the tax collector, we start to take on the role of the Pharisees. From the time I accepted Jesus up until now, I can feel that shift slowly take place where I start to act self-righteous and I start to see people acting differently as well or I start to judge people based on the way that they act. I don't know why. It's this, this easy shift that just suddenly takes place. And honestly, I can understand why the Pharisees would make all these extra rules. Because if you live throughout their history and you know what happens every time they act unrighteously, they get punished for it. As a big group of people, look throughout Israel's history. They start by trying to follow God as best they can. They mess up. They don't follow Him correctly. They start to follow other gods. 
They get enslaved by a group of people. They ask for forgiveness from God. He grants it. They become free. They live like God wants them to for a brief period of time. And then they instantly start to fall into the same habits. They fall enslaved again, and the cycle just repeats itself. In fact, we're just several hundred years removed from the exact same thing happening. The Israelites were enslaved for a couple thousand years, basically. And so they're sitting around waiting for the Messiah to come. And they think that the best way for the, for the Messiah to ultimately come is for them to be as righteous as possible. Because if they're righteous, then maybe God will smile upon them. And I think that the same thing happens in my life as well. When I first become a Christian, I want to set myself apart from the way that other people are living. I know that I don't want to sin anymore, and so I want to separate myself from that lifestyle. But the problem is when I create those rules in my life as I mature as a Christian, I've created this wall where I don't want to cross back over into ever interacting with the tax collectors and sinners of the present day age. That's when I start to become self-righteous. And maybe you guys can identify with this as well. There's literally times, maybe you feel this way too, where you can meet somebody new that doesn't profess to be a Christian and you already start to think in your mind whether or not they will ever follow Jesus. I want people to come to church and follow Jesus and choose to do so before I start talking and investing in them. That's the self-righteousness that takes place in my mind, and I'm sure some of you can identify with that as well. But that's not what happens in this story. That's not what Jesus chooses to do. The scandal of the story is that Jesus does not make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. Rather, Jesus loves and accepts tax collectors and sinners as they are. If they forsake their evil, if they amend their lives, great. Zacchaeus Zacchaeus did the same thing in Luke chapter 19. But it wasn't in order to gain Jesus' favor because Jesus already loved them as the sinners that they already were. So if you're here this morning, you're one in a few places. One, this is maybe the first time you've ever heard about Jesus, and he sounds like a pretty awesome guy that you like to follow because he loves you just the way you are now. No matter what you've done, no matter the sins that you may have committed in your life, no matter how bad things have gotten, Jesus still loves you where you're at in this moment. And his only hope is the same thing that he said to Levi. His only hope is that you will follow him. And there's nothing that you have to do before that moment. He just wants you to follow him. No matter what any self-righteous Christian has said online, no matter what you hear from other people in the pulpit where you have to do this, 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 and this before you can come to follow Jesus, all you have to do is what Levi did. Stand up and choose to follow him. doesn't matter what anybody else has said. Seek him, and the rest will take care of itself. You know, I I think of it a little bit like this. If any of you all have ever had a toddler, you know that things in life are really simple, and yet somehow get really complicated. I know that in my life, when I'm trying to make my son mac and cheese, normally you would think that we do easy mac in our house, by the way, cheap stuff, easy stuff. All I do, throw a little water in the easy mac, throw it in the microwave, Put that fake powdery cheese substance on top, stir it right up, instant, awesome. However, 
Any of you that have toddlers know that that process is not that simple. Do you want this Easy Mac or do you want the shells and cheese Easy Mac? Okay, you, great. Stir it up, heat it up. Okay, do you want it in this bowl or do you want it in another bowl? Oh, you want it in another bowl? Okay, do you want it in this little light blue bowl or do you want it in a big bowl? Oh, big bowl? Okay, great. Do you, uh, do you want a fork or a spoon? Okay, you're going to go with a fork this time. Great. Here's your fork. Oh, do you want to sit at mommy and daddy's table or do you want to sit at your table? Uh, your table. Good, good. Great choice. Now, do you, do you want to play with this toy while you eat or do you want to play with this toy while you eat? Don't judge me. We let our kids play with toys while, we, while they eat. You get what I'm saying, though? This is a process that is simple. I've had tons and tons of mac and cheese in my life. And yet, somehow, we make this so complicated. It's the same thing when it comes to following Jesus. Christians are really good at making following Jesus difficult. And it really is a simple and easy decision. And the way we keep it simple is by trying to be like Jesus, just by following him. Jesus had this desire, and it's hard for us to understand. And it's really difficult for us to replicate. But Jesus wanted everyone he came in contact with to put, place their faith in him. That's why he went to preach in the synagogues first. He wanted to give them the opportunity. But the truth was, the religious people were so caught up in the way that they were living that they failed to see the Messiah. Because he didn't ultimately fit into what they were hoping for. He didn't fit into what they wanted. They wanted this big king to come in and lay waste to all of their enemies. They wanted to be free of Rome. They wanted to be free of all of their oppressors. But the freedom he offered was completely different. He was talking about everlasting peace, everlasting forgiveness, everlasting freedom. So if we're going to do this, we need to do two things this morning. We need to see people differently, and we need to change the way our mind operates. We need to have unconditional love towards the people that we see. On a regular basis, we always, always, always need to love people unconditionally. And you all have probably felt this love before. If any of you ever have had a grandmother, you've probably felt this love before. My grandmother, I, I could do no wrong. I could say whatever I wanted. I could fail multiple times over. And my grandmother saw me the same every single time. She loved me no matter what I did. In fact, there was one time she picked me up from school and Actually, she picked me up from my house because I rode the bus home from school. She picked me up and then took me to her house. Well, when I got to her house, apparently I was like moping around or something. I was a little bit uneasy, unhappy. I don't know what it was, but she picked up on it really quick. And she asked me what's wrong. And I told her, I told her what I was feeling guilty about. I said, Mimi, when I was on the bus, I said the F word. And she didn't bat an eye. She didn't look disappointed. Nothing changed in her demeanor because I could do no wrong. And without, like, without skipping a beat, she looks at me and said, Drew, honey, what word was that? I said, well, Mimi, I said fart. Instantly the moment was relief. But I could have said the other word that some of y'all were thinking I said and that you probably thought I was going to say on stage. But there's a camera back there, and the live stream's not going to keep that forever. So I could have said any word, and my grandmother still would have loved me. And that was the best form of unconditional love that I experienced as a young child. And maybe it wasn't your grandmother. Maybe it was your grandfather. Maybe it was your mom, your dad, somebody in your life that you probably experienced unconditional love for, where you could do nothing 
to change the way that they saw you. If we're going to be more like Jesus, we have to see people the same way. We have to see people and love them unconditionally, no matter what they choose to do. Which is part of the second thing. We have to transform our minds. We see people differently, but we also think about people differently. We want to reach people, and I mean people, everybody that we come in contact with. Because our mindset changes from where we no longer want any of these people to experience hell. We want people to experience the love of Jesus on earth and in heaven. Because it is truly life-changing. But I'm telling you guys, there's plenty of people in my life that get on my nerves. There's plenty of people in my life that I almost jokingly wish, oh, well, they'll get theirs one day. You've probably thought that as well. There's probably people that you have judged that you're honestly hoping maybe you never go to church. But when your mindset gets transformed and you start to see that there is no one on earth that deserves to live in hell and every single person on earth deserves to experience Jesus, everything changes. And that's why this is the key point of today. Only the sick need a doctor and everyone's sick. That's the beauty of it. As you sit here today in this church, you are sick, sinful people. As I stand up here, as we stand up here, we are sinners in need of a Savior as well. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. And so why can we in any way act self-righteous towards anybody else around us? Because as someone who is lost sits in need of a Savior, so did each and every one of us at some point in our lives. So it's really simple. All we have to do is start to be a little bit more like Jesus and recognize that just as we are and have been sick, so is the rest of the world around us. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you'll start to see the lost people the way Jesus did. That it's not the it's not inside the walls of the church where the followers are most often found. The new followers are most often found. It's out there. It's when you walk out the door. It's when you go to work. It's when you go see your neighbors. It's when you see your family members sometimes. The followers of Jesus are often found outside the walls of the church. And the sick people are everywhere. Let me pray for you guys this morning. Lord, we love you so much and we are so thankful that at all times you are, are graceful to each and every one of us. Even though sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we act like the people that you were in opposition to. Lord, I, I know that you still love us and you are eager for us to return to following you as you've called us each and every one of us to. And so Lord, I pray that we would take off our self-righteousness and just try to be a little bit more like you to see people the way you see people, to love people the way you love people, and to be your representative here, near, and far to the ends of the earth. Thank you for your forgiveness when we don't measure up to that. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.